0: Whoa!
1: This Sunday, we celebrate in the Byzantine liturgical calendar the first ecumenical council at Nicaea in 325 AD. The reason why it's providential is because it falls in the liturgical calendar in between the ascension and, of course, the resurrection before that and Pentecost, which will be next week. The reason this is providential is because it is by the operation, the outpouring, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that these great Men, These great holy, great minds met at that council of Nicaea in 325 AD, and they set down once and for all the true teaching of the nature of Christ. Now, that would be challenged later on by other heresies, but this particular heresy was the Arian heresy, which basically doubted the divinity of Christ. And so the fathers of the church got together, and they already had a basis in the apostolic creed. But they also then expanded a bit, was more specific about the nature of Christ. You see, all heresies, especially those that happen in the East, and that's why they would call these ecumenical councils, it was to hash out these heresies. They all had to do one way or another with the nature of Christ and also the persons of the Trinity. They had to do about God, because that let's face it, everything comes from that. Everything is defined in light of God. Everything else that the church is about and believes. Even Heresies that had to do with the mother of God had to do with God at the same time, because what you say about the mother of God is also a statement about Christ and vice versa. So, it always comes down to understanding the real natures of Christ. And why why is it always this question? Because our minds are too small to understand so great a mystery as a God who is one, yet three persons, distinct persons. You always have to make a point about that. Distinct, unconfused persons. They never become confused or diluted or fused together, yet they are one God. It's an incredible mystery. Something like with all mysteries, we live, we don't try to totally figure out in our heads. But there are some things from Scripture and from the Revelation over time, from the great minds of the church, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there are some things, of course, we do understand about the Holy Trinity. We have to. God has revealed himself. He can't possibly totally reveal himself in this life completely to our little small minds. But he certainly has revealed a lot about himself as Trinity, as a God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the fathers of this council got together, and they put together what we know today as the Nicene-Constantinopolitan Creed. Constantinopolitan comes in there because there was another council that would happen in 381 AD that would again further elucidate these confusions about the nature of Christ. Let's look at the Creed. You know, the interesting thing about the Creed, in both the liturgies of the Western and Eastern churches, two lungs of the church, the Creed is in the Mass, in the Eucharistic liturgy. It's in other prayers as well, other parts of the divine office, especially in the Eastern churches. However, It is common to both the Mass liturgy of the West and the East. And it comes at a crucial time, if you notice, when it comes in the liturgy of the Mass. And it's important to focus on this creed because the creed is long. Admittedly, it's long in comparison to the other prayers we say, especially during the Eucharistic liturgies of both churches, East and West. And sometimes we can get very distracted or just kind of say it by rote or just say it without much thought, without much prayer. But it's a very rich, very significant proclamation. It's a prayer, but it's a, it's, it's a proclamation. And the reason it comes at that point in the Mass, in the Latin Rite, and the liturgy in the Eastern Rites, is because we are professing what we believe, the total belief about Christ and the Trinity, before we receive Holy Communion that's why the creed is strategically placed at that point in the liturgy we have to be able to stand there before god and as a community and profess that we truly believe what we're about to partake of you see it's especially a strong concept in eastern churches that holy communion means not only the precious and real body and blood of jesus christ but it also means his body on earth the church is his body on earth and so To be in communion with that church means to embrace what that church believes. So there's a communal dimension to the creed, and this is why we say it together prior to receiving Holy Communion. We all have to be on the same page in order to receive Holy Communion. Now, I know that today, regrettably, it's getting more and more common for people to receive Holy Communion without really believing fully a lot of what the church says, and even doubt things about God that are spelled out in the creed. And yet people come to communion. It's because of this dimension of Holy Communion has been lost. Well, first of all, the sanctity of it has been certainly diluted over recent years. But also this dimension that it has a communal dimension, that has been lost as well. And the creed brings us back to that communal dimension, that dimension that if we believe this, and only because we believe it can we approach holy communion, because we are indeed one communion, one body in Christ. And so the creed is very strategic. And I admit, it's something that can be done and we sort of space out or kind of daydream, whatever, because it's a long thing. We've, if we go to church regularly, we've said it a lot. We probably know it by memory, by rote. But it is full of meaning and significance, not only what it says, but where it falls in the liturgies of both lungs of the church, east and west. So let's look at this creed and just meditate on it a bit. Maybe this will help you next time you're at liturgy or mass when you say the creed or in any other form that you say the creed. It starts out, I believe in one God. Now, I'd like to recommend that you try to listen or obtain or get your fingers on, and it's pretty easy today with the internet and so on, different recordings, especially from the Russian Orthodox churches or the Ukrainian churches, both Catholic and Orthodox, the Slavic churches have ways of proclaiming this creed and liturgy that are absolutely magnificent. They're powerful. And the way that the music, the chant is set with the words, reveals how the church, especially in the Slavic traditions, really understands the meaning of this creed. For example, many of these chants will start out with a very powerful, especially if it's with a choir or a soloist. In, in the Slavonic, it would be, Viryu, you vo jedanoh. It means, I believe, I believe in one God. Or even the English chant, they start out, I believe, and then there's a pause, then the chant goes on. That in itself is significant. We don't say, we believe. We're all, of course, ascribing to the same belief, hopefully, before we receive Holy Communion. But we do so individually. We must all own this faith of ours. We must all ascribe to it. And only then do we, together as community, then approach the Eucharist. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. Now, in the Slavonic, the actual meaning of those words, visible and invisible, actually really means, literally translated, in fact, the words are vidimim and also nevidimim, things beheld and things not beheld. Isn't that rich? We say visible and invisible. That's rich too. In other words, seen or unseen. But in the Slavonic, the original meaning is literally translated beheld or not beheld. To behold something means to to see it, to see it, not just to look at it, but to really see it, to see it in a very full, integrated, comprehensive, deep way. So we could also say that he is creator of heaven and earth, of all things, beheld and unbeheld. (laughs) But we do use the word visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, the only begotten, born of the Father before all ages. Okay, right there, a key word, begotten. Begotten. To, To be begotten means you weren't born in the sense where you had no origin and then you come into being. Begotten means you always were, but you came forth from somewhere. And for the person of the Trinity, especially in the Eastern understanding of the processions of the Trinity, this Son and this Holy Spirit, the two persons of the Trinity, come forth from the Father. They're begotten. In other words, they just kind of come forth or proceed. They, they aren't born. Now, Christ was born in a different way, too, when he took on human nature. But inside the Trinity, he is begotten. So it says, the only begotten, born of the Father before all ages. So he always was, always will be. It's establishing right away against the Arian heresy that Christ is God. Had no beginning and no end. Light from light. True God from true God. Begotten, not made. One in essence with the Father, through whom all things were made. Okay, one in essence. We have, in philosophical terms, to try to explain some things, words like essence and substance and nature. This word essence is very powerful, very, very rich. It means what something is in and of itself. In other words, like the the rock bottom aspect of something, the the deepest part of it, the most fundamental aspect that is unique and unrepeatable about that particular thing, in this case, the person of the Father, of that person or thing itself. Essence. Essence. And we say in the Eastern churches that we cannot ever fully know God in his essence. It's something like the sun. It's like trying to fly right into the very heart of the sun. We know it's there and we see the rays of the sun, but we can't possibly behold the very essence of the sun. We would be totally vaporized. When we come back, we're going to talk more about the significance of the creed on this feast in the Byzantine liturgical calendar of the Fathers of the First Nicene Council. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light
0: of the East.
1: Welcome back to light of the east i am father thomas Loyal, your host we're moving through the creed the nicene constantinopolitan creed that we say and proclaim during the liturgies of both churches east and west and as we move through it we're seeing that it's a proclamation ultimately of of who christ is the persons of the trinity okay let's continue for us and for our salvation he came down from heaven and was incarnate from the holy spirit and the virgin mary and became man Now, this translation, which is a more recent one in my particular eparchy, says, for us and for our salvation. The other translation, actually the older one, and I think the better one, is the ones that the Latin rite has retrieved, ironically, (laughs) for us men and for our salvation. Now, when we say men, of course, we can't look at it in terms of how we use the word men today. Men is basically in English of trying to come about with a plural of man, in other words of mankind. So when we say men, we mean human beings. For us or for man in our salvation, he came down from heaven and was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and became man. For God to be incarnate is the great mystery. Everything comes from that. It determines the whole meaning of the order of creation, of life, of the human person, of everything. And it's it's so It's so full of significance for us because for God to become incarnate, remember this is God, only begotten from all ages, no beginning and no end, invisible, beyond comprehension. This God lowers himself to become flesh. Incarnate means to take on flesh. And how? From the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. It was an action of the cooperation of human nature and the divine nature together. Jesus Christ takes his human nature from the Virgin Mary. This is why in the icons, the Virgin Mary wears an earthy, reddish kind of color. That's symbolic of the fact that that earthy nature was given to Christ through the Virgin Mary. As God did not change in who he was as God, yet he took on human nature. The creator becomes the creature while remaining the creator. The great, great mystery Okay, the creed goes on. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate, suffered and was buried. He rose on the third day according to the scriptures. Now, you see, the creed says he was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. So there it's making it very specific that this is not just some historical kind of fable, or whatever. it specifies under who this crucifixion occurred in terms of the Roman government at the time it specifies Pontius Pilate. It makes a very direct historical reference. And he suffered and was buried. He rose on the third day according to the scriptures. This, of course, was predicted in the Old Testament, prefigured there, just like Jonah in the whale. Many references in the scripture to the foreshadowing of Christ rising on the third day. Many references to the third day in the Old Testament. So he rises on the third day according to the scriptures. In other words, it was predicted by the scriptures referred to the Old Testament. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, that again has a great relevancy for us, for the nature of human nature, its quality. The miracle of the ascension, among many things, is that God took human nature and brought it with him to heaven. Imagine, human nature is seated at the right hand of the Father. That tells you what kind of regard, what kind of origin and destiny God had all along for us as human beings. Now, just that alone is worthy to pause and meditate upon every day and all day. If that's who we are as human beings, how then could we possibly, with that understanding, if we really embrace it, and we say it in the creed, how, with that understanding, can we do harm to one another? Can we hate? Can we abuse? How can we do anything but respond to each other with that ultimate deferential love, knowing that we all, as human beings, have a nature so exalted in heaven by Christ's ascension? You see, when we say or proclaim this creed with a lot of prayerfulness and meditation, it can change our lives. That's why we have it in the Mass or in the liturgy. I'm just going to make a little aside here. When I was a child growing up in the Byzantine church, we often would use the church Slavonic and the English together. I recall being in church on Sunday where there would be two priests, usually it was a little bit older priest, a little bit younger priest, and they would actually do The homilies, one would do it in Slavonic, and the other one would do it in English. And I remember one of the elderly priests who would do a lot of things in Slavonic at the time, he was doing a homily on the creed. Now, I'm dedicating this entire program to the creed, and even then, I'm hardly scratching the surface of it. But imagine, he did a whole homily on the creed. I remember that time, it probably went about at least 45 minutes. (laughs) Which for us would be unthinkable, but you know what else? Another aside for you. It was actually the tradition in the great church of Hagia Sophia in the Byzantine Empire that many priests would come for a liturgy, and they would all get up and preach. Can you imagine? The liturgy could go on for hours. But of course, that was definitely the center of life and of culture at that time. Now we try to relegate it to a time frame that is hopefully, almost seemingly mandatorily, within an hour, under an hour. If it goes over an hour, usually there's all kinds of comments of dismay or disgruntlement. (laughs) Things have changed quite a bit. So, that's just a little bit of a side. So, let's continue with the creed itself. It said, and he is coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. So, he will come again. There'll be a second coming. At that second coming, there'll be the general resurrection and the, and the, the divine judgment. When we die, we are all judged in, in an immediate judgment, a personal judgment. And that judgment will not be different at the final judgment. It'll just be completed. In other words, if our soul is allowed to enter heaven So too will our body at the general resurrection and the last judgment. And our bodies and souls will be reunited, gloriously transfigured, as we see in these post resurrection experiences and appearances of Jesus Christ that we celebrate during this time of year in the church. He is coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. And in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the Creator of life, let's see right there Holy Spirit is the Lord. We call Jesus Lord, too. We call God the Father Lord, too. See, three equal persons, just in that one title. And in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the creative life, proceeds from the Father. Now, here we come to that big, controversial filioque. Filioque in Latin means, and the Son. This is one of the dividing points between the East and West during the time of the Great Schism. It's not so much a dividing point now, because as always, we understand each other better after a thousand years understand each other's language and concepts better. But in the Latin Rite, they still say, through the Father and the Son. And that was entered into the creed in the Latin Rite church to affirm and to guard against the very thing that the creed itself was guarding against, the Arian heresy, which kind of rose its ugly head a little bit later on again in the West. It was kind of driven out of the East, and I guess it went West. So they they added that and the Son in there because they wanted to affirm the fact that Christ was equal to, to the Father, that was the point of it. The East took issue with that because of their understanding of procession. They believe that procession can only come from one source. So the Son had to proceed from the Father and the Holy Spirit had to proceed from the Father as well, but through the Son. I sometimes get the image in my mind of like a telescope. All the pieces of a telescope are equal, they're all part of the telescope, but they're all individual, and one kind of proceeds from the other. They're not born from each other, but they proceed from the other. They don't produce each other, like the Holy Spirit is not the child of the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is equal to the Father and the Son, but proceeds from the Father through the Son. At least this is how it is seen in the Eastern churches, this is how we understand it and why we say it in the Creed. Sometimes people ask us, why don't we say, and the Son, in the Creed? But notice what comes up next. The Creed says, who proceeds the Father and the Son, together with the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. So you see there you have a ratification of the equality of the Holy Spirit with the Father and the Son. So in one sense, you don't really need the so-called filioque. Now, I'm not challenging the Latin rites use of it. That's their decision and for their reasons. I'm simply saying that in the East, in a sense, you don't have to say and the Son. First of all, the East would take issue with that. But more so, the fact that the Holy Spirit is equal to the Father and the Son comes in the next sentence. Together with the Father and the Son, He is worshiped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. In one holy Catholic apostolic church, I profess one baptism for the remission of sins. I expect the resurrection of the dead, life of the world to come. Amen. There is much more to be said and meditated upon in regard to this marvelous creed, which today we celebrate having been set down by the fathers of the First Ecumenical Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas
0: Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media.
1: More to Life with Dr. Greg and Lisa Popchek More to Life is about living the Catholic difference in our marriages, our families, the way we approach life in general.
0: It's about celebrating life and our
1: Catholic faith and discovering all the ways God wants to bless us and help us be a blessing to others. More to Life with Dr. Greg and Lisa Popchek, weekdays, 10 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Thank you for listening.